If you've got a copy of God's Word, electronic copy or a bound paper copy, open it now, if you would, to Romans chapter 15. Some just I just thought coming up, so I can't believe this is the next to the last sermon in this series. We started at Romans 1.1, and here we are in chapter 15, finishing up in chapter 16, Lord willing, next week. Romans 15, this morning, we're looking at verses 14 to the end of that chapter, 14 to 33. Here now as I read God's Word. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And that's a long passage of Scripture. Uh, but it's, it's really a simple story, and I want us to see the beauty of what's happened here. La- last week, we ended a, a, a rather long section from chapter 15 to the, he, excuse me, chapter 14, 1. Uh, we had looked at two or three weeks in a row, and it concluded it uh, up through verse 13 of chapter 15, and it was all about welcoming people into the church and welcoming people that are not like you. I mean, you can look around and you say, this is pretty much my kind of people. 
And God was saying, there are lots of people in the kingdom of God that are not your kind of people. And they will wear different denominational badges. They, they might have different beliefs because they're on a different sanctification process than you. They're not quite where you are or they're beyond you. There are those with um, different color skin. He said, there's just so many ways people are different. They come from a multitude of nations. And your job, my job, is to welcome them as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we all grow up together. And he's saying this really to an international city in Rome, that you need to be welcoming the people of God, people that Christ shed his blood for you. How could you not accept them for whom Christ is already accepted? Are you better than Christ? No. You accept them. And then he comes to this passage and he says, I'm proud of you guys. See how he starts off? Verse 13. May the, uh, excuse me, verse 14. May I myself, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. How many, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know because I've done enough counseling. How many of you have longed to hear somebody say, I'm proud of you? I just love you so much. I am proud of you. I am satisfied with how you're turning out. You thrill me. And that's what Paul's doing here. He talks about it. At times, yes, we need to be humble, but there's times where we need to build up and encourage. And Paul's doing that. And I uh, was meeting with our church staff this weekend at a retreat, and as I was thinking about my sermon yesterday morning, my devotions, I said to the staff yesterday when we got together for our, for our meeting, I said, I just want to go around the room and tell every single one of you how I am proud of you. I am so proud. And I wish I had the time this morning to go around this room and do that and encourage one another. And that's that's why we gather many times and say, I have to be here for that ministry to occur, to, sh to build up the saints. So let me just say, generally speaking, with that theme this morning, I am proud of each one in this room. You know, 80% of the population around us are not in church this morning. 80%. You're in that 20% that's in person in church. I am so proud of you. You say, it's important for me to get together with the people of God and bring my tithes and my offerings and my praise and my service and my redemption back to God for His glory and His honor. And you are committing yourself to the sacrifices it takes to do these things. On a week-in, week-out basis. It's not easy. It's not convenient. There's a lot more convenient ways. I am proud you have taken these steps. And be encouraged. The people around you, they're like you. Doing that great ministry for Christ. That's where Paul's got to. He says, I'm kind of having to close this letter. I'm having to sign off to Rome. I don't want to sign off. Before I tell them how proud I am, how excited I am. And he starts giving a list. It gets, it gets too, too big. Before I, 
I end here. Let me just show you he's done this before. This, this is not first time. Look at First uh, Thessalonians 1 verse 4. I just thought this was interesting when I saw this. First um, Thessalonians, oh, excuse me, Second Thessalonians, why I couldn't find it. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 4. He says, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, you remember the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. We always talk about the Bereans. Say the Berean Christians who studied the Word of God every day and night, they were more noble. They were better than who? The Thessalonians. And yet, and, and that's a true statement. The Bereans were great. But here... Paul says, I am so proud of the Thessalonians. They are so steadfast. They're so faithful. He doesn't take the opportunity to push them down because the Bereans are a little bit better or a little bit different. But you see him welcoming both groups. And and, and we need to learn how to, to build up and be proud of one another, encourage one another. Oh, there's so many kids today are waiting for a dad or a mom or an older brother or sister say, I'm proud of you. I love seeing you grow in Christ. I love seeing where you're at and your dependence, your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your goodness, your knowledge. And that's where Paul goes. Back in Romans 15, verse 14, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. And he gives a list of four things real quick. You yourselves, you're full of goodness doesn't mean they're as good as they can be. No, we're all sinners. they got lots of room to grow, but there's a goodness that we can stop and appreciate. They are filled with all knowledge. doesn't mean they got it. They're omniscient. I think what it means there, what you're filled with knowledge, it means you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You've got a settledness in the Word of God. You've got knowledge that you can stand on, and you live it out. I'm proud the people that are that way. Those are anchors of our faith. Uh, three, uh, you're able to instruct one another. You, you're, you're to the place where there's such an assurance of where God has you. You can admonish and encourage others to keep growing in Christ. Take one more step to be more Christ-like. So much we could say there. Uh, and then um, I... Uh, Put down in verse 15, you're able to handle a rem- reminder. I want, to, I want to say a reminder of sanctification. I'm proud of you handling a reminder of satisfaction, uh, sanctification. Notice how he says it, verse 15 and 16. But on some points, in other words, see, I already proved before. On some points, I needed to write to you. You don't, you don't have it all done down. And I needed to say some things really boldly. And as you know, it's by way of reminder. In other words, I've already said it before. It's not that I came up with some new stuff to tell you. But there's some stuff you're letting slide. And the book of Romans, he's been dealing with all these things. He says, so I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. There's nothing wrong for the preacher saying the same thing over and over and over. You know, I don't... I don't know about you, but I need a weekly reminder. I know things that by now, I know things right now, by tomorrow morning, I will have forgotten. 
And you do too. And then Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And Friday, by, by Sunday the next week, I need again a reminder of how gracious God is to me. I need again to hear that He loves sinners. I need again to be filled afresh with His Spirit. I need the Word of God to be poured into me. God calls these means of grace. I need the saints to gather around and greet me and accept me and hug me and build me up. I need it so I can keep moving forward. And Paul says, I come to you, and I'm thankful that when I start through this process of reminding you again and again stuff that you've already heard, you receive it for your sanctification. That's, that's the way it should work. He says, so that's what I do. He said, I've been given the grace by God to be a minister of Jesus to Gentiles, and that's who you are. He says, so I just come and I pour out God's grace and you keep taking it in. I'm proud of you for that. That's the way it works. Weekly sanctification and weekly grace. So I hope you go out of here this morning. You don't take this as just a general statement. But you can go to whoever you meet first as soon as you leave here and say, David Roundtree says he's proud of me. There's a church there that says they love me. They're proud of me. They've encouraged me this morning. They see where I was. They don't care about where the stepping, the step I'm on in this sanctification continuum. They're proud of that I'm on this step and that I'm going to the next step. And they're encouraged. And they encourage me. I want us to be feel the, the beauty of the redeemed family of God. Being a people that can be proud of each other. And then Paul takes an even stronger step. And he lets you know he's proud of what he's able to do. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you see that? I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing we don't hear very often. But I, I'm going to show you how he gets there. I think how he gets there is he is confident of his calling. He knows why God has him on earth. And if he can do what God has called him uniquely to do, he can be proud of getting it done because he knows also he can't get it done apart from the grace of God. But each one of us have a very unique place on this planet. Nobody else fills that hole. It's yours. You have a unique family. You have a unique group of friends. You have a unique church. You have a unique job. You have a sphere of ministry that you're called to do. And you need to figure out what that is it's just right there in your circle. And as you understand God's will for, you, for that life of yours, you can also get to a place to say, Lord, am I doing this right? And, and you get sanctified week after week. Well, Paul understood the, that he had a very unique spot. And this unique spot, to put it simply, Paul was the person God chose. And he said, Paul, you're going to go through lots of hardship. And Paul was stoned three or four times. He was beaten till he was nearly dead. He was stripped naked. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he went through all sorts of stuff for God. He says, the reason this is going to be hard is because you're doing something I haven't chosen anybody else to do. And that is, I'm going to use you to take my good news 
to the Gentiles for the first time. It's been done on an individual basis, but you're going to take it to the nations. And there's going to be a lot of people mad at the game change. Even though I've been promising it all along. And that's what Paul opens up for us here. Let me read it again for you. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring, see it here, the Gentiles to obedience. And he talked about it doesn't matter whether it was through my word, through my deeds, through the power of signs, wonders, power of spirit of God. And he says the point is, I'm the one God was using to bring the good news from the Jew to the Gentiles. And he gives geography here from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Illyricum, small county province east of Italy. So Paul says, you think about your geography. Where did the gospel start? With the Jew in Jerusalem. He says, I started there. And now I have preached from there all the way to the other end of the world, to Illyricum. And I've got one more place beyond that, that's Spain. He said, that's where I'm going next. And I'm going to need you Romans to help me get there. But I'm taking the gospel to the nations. And that's what he's been doing. And the reason he says, I don't want to stop and build upon another person's foundation is he's been saying, because that's not my calling. There are lots of churches that have been planted along the way. And I, I run into some that's already sp spun off from other churches that have been planted. I run into churches that from Acts chapter uh, 2, when Peter preached his first sermon, there were people and gathered in front of him. 3,000 got saved that day from every nation, Acts 2 verse 5 says, from every nation. So the gospel was going out to these nations through Peter's sermon. And then Paul runs into some of those. Hey, the gospel's already here. He says, well, I'm going to move on. He doesn't stay because that wasn't his calling. His calling was just to keep going to the remotest parts of the earth. And that's what Paul did. He says, by the time he got to this point, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I was able to do that because that means you Gentiles get the good news of Christ. It doesn't stay locked up with the Jews. It doesn't stay locked up in Jerusalem. It travels to every nation on the earth. Um, verse 20, And thus I make it an ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ is already named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, but as it is written. Now, I had a hard time finding any commentary anywhere that wanted to talk about the next passage. I want, you, I want you to see the beauty of it. Significance. Paul stops this discourse to quote from Isaiah 52, verse 15. These words, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Why does he take the time to do that? In other words, Isaiah has already told us Hundreds of years ago, what's happening now in my lifetime, Paul says. It's kind of like when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he opened to the book of Isaiah as well. And he read from Isaiah and he told his congregation, the words of Isaiah are fulfilled today in your hearing. I'm here. 
I'm your Messiah. I'm your Redeemer. Paul does the same thing with the Romans. He says, wait a minute, let me, let me refresh your memory on Isaiah 52, verse 15. Because in Isaiah 52, it says, the gospel will eventually go to the people who've never seen it and never heard of it. And he's saying, that happened here, you Romans. It happened in my lifetime. It happened through me, a vessel of God. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 52, verse 15. If you go back, um, how much time I've got for that, but go look at Isaiah 52. I'll just walk you through it real fast. Isaiah 52, verse 1 says, O Jerusalem, the holy city. So Isaiah 52, we're talking about Jerusalem, the people of God, national capital of the national church. Well, it goes on, this Isaiah has promised that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And it is. The Babylonians come to town, wipe it out. So Isaiah 52 starts talking really out of the ashes of Jerusalem. There's going to come someone who's going to bring good news. So you've got to see yourself in the Old Testament with the church declining, declining, destroyed. Then Christ shows up in the ashes, really, of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem's under Roman control. They're no longer the national world power. And in such a time as that, Christ was born. And then the Apostle Paul, verse 3 of Isaiah 52 Thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You shall be redeemed without money. So it's, uh, you're going down, you're going down. Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings news. Just giving them a picture of hope. Suppose you're in the ruined cities and you see the victorious messenger coming with good news. You're going to have a future. You're going to be revived. And he starts building to who that messenger is. Um, verse uh, to, to the redemption of Jerusalem, end of verse 9. Verse 10, the Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. Notice we've gone now from Jerusalem to a plurality of nations. And it even gets more specific. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah is saying that. It's coming a time, yes, we're going to be destroyed, but as we are brought back, it's not going to be us anymore. It's not going to be a national church any longer. It's going to the nations, and every people, every tribe, nation, and tongue are going to see salvation of God. How do you get from that place to where we are today? Verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You see in Isaiah 53, verse 2, the same thing about Christ. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He's just beginning to paint a picture. 
You think of National Jewish Church. You think of the city of David. You think of the kingdom of David. And you think of an exaltation to world power status. And he says, but Christ isn't coming that way. Christ is going to show up and you will exalt him. Not because he looks pretty. Matter of fact, he's going to be so plain, many people will turn, over him, turn away from him and say, he can't possibly be king of kings. See, but he says there's an astonishment. He, you're astonished by Christ, not because of his physical beauty. The astonishment is that he is taking the reign of God, the redemption of God, to the nations. That's astonishing. To abandon, actually even destroy his national church for the purpose of going and building an international kingdom. Wow. That's astonishing. Who does that? It's Christ. And how does he do it? Back in Isaiah 52, verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. And here's the quote in Romans. For that which has not been told, they... Them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. When Christ comes, he will sprinkle the nations. What happened prior to Christ's coming? God raised up Moses, and Moses led the people out of Egypt. That's what they had grown to become a nation so large, the Egyptians feared them. And they leave Egypt as the national people of God. And when Moses gathers them together, gives them God's laws on the Mount Sinai, you know, he's on the mountain, a higher perch, brings six million people in. He says, let's establish God's covenant. God wants to be our God, the nation of Israel. He wants us to be his people. The covenant sign, and then Moses had slaughtered the blood of bulls and goats. And he dips the hyssop branch into the bowl. He throws it out to the people. Sprinkling a nation. One nation. Sprinkles. This is the covenant sign that God will live for us and redeem us as His people. Now, New Testament says, when Christ comes, Christ will sprinkle the nations, plural, with the covenant sign that I will be a God to you, and you will be my people. And you say, wow, that's astonishing. It's astonishing that Christ isn't just awesome. But he's truly building an international people of every nation, tribe, and tongue that will gather around his throne in heaven. And the only way to make that happen is we've got to get out of this national church mentality and we've got to get to the nations. Paul, I'm going to pick you. And I want you to take this good message to the remotest parts of the earth. 
Paul says, I'm proud to be that man. I'm proud of that. Wow, what, a, what an opportunity God has given me. And I hope you and I can see our little cog in the wheel too, our little place as well, and say, God has picked me to be the mother of this child. God's picked me to be the father of this child. God's picked me to have family devotions, to raise up a next generation. God's picked me to be a part of a different nation, a different race, a different whatever. And God is continuing to build His church through somebody like me. Oh, astonishing. And that's what God's doing. Paul saw it. He wanted to share that glorious news so that you and I get it. And uh, let me just move on. Verse 22 of Romans 15 says, For this reason I... I've so often been hindered from coming to you. I mean, it's, it's just hard work to just keep pushing, 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 and just go to the next tribe, the next people, the people who've never seen it, never heard. I mean, I shared last week, I said, to the Gentile, the Jews just thought they were despicable because they, did, they didn't have the same book, they didn't have the same language, they didn't have the same clothes, they didn't have the same rituals, they didn't have anything. They had never seen. They had never heard. The good news of God coming to redeem a people. Paul says, I just keep pressing on to get that message out there. Verse 29, for now, since I no longer have any work here. He says, I've done my job here. He says, i got one thing to do. Some people have entrusted me with money. A lot of people look at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. talks about raising up money for the Jerusalem saints. And people think, oh, that's, that's just... Our, our tithes are now just free will offerings. No, no, no. The people of God still tithe, but people in Macedonia, Cadia region, they said, we heard that our brothers and sisters in the national church, we're now a different nation, a different tribe, but we know where the gospel came from. It came out of Jerusalem. It came out of the Jews. It went to them first, and now to the, it's going to the remotest part. And we understand that Jer Jerusalem has been going through a famine. There's a lot of brothers and sisters hurting there. And so the Christians that were getting, the men, women getting saved said, let's help them out. And that's where uh, Paul was saying, verse 27, says, indeed, you actually owe them. And he brings up a principle there. If somebody is giving you a spiritual benefit, there's a principle that it's our responsibility to give them a physical blessing. Pay them for it, basically. They are hurting and suffering. Let's share the goodness that God's given us with the people of God, because we're all brothers and sisters, getting back to welcoming one another. So Paul says, that's my job right now. I'm going to take the money, and we'll take it back to Jerusalem. And when I get back to Jerusalem, I'm going to give it to the elders there, and they'll take care of the saints in Jerusalem. And then I'm going to turn right back around, and I'm going to Spain. Now, to get to Spain will not be easy. You know, he's got he's to walk. He's got to get boats. He's got to get there. Well, you know the story. He gets arrested, gets on a boat, gets actually all the way back to Rome. And then we don't know a lot more about him, whether he makes it to Spain or not. But I want you to see the beauty of him saying all these things before he goes back to Jerusalem to come back to Spain. So he says, verse 30, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to appeal to you. To help me out. And his, his appeal is, I want you to pray for me. Because I want you to pray three things. From th verse 30 
to the end. I want you to pray, first of all, that I will be delivered from unbelievers. Pray that I'll be delivered from unbelievers. In, in my short time of ministry, I can't tell you the number of people who have tried to thwart my ministry, who have tried to harm me, who have tried to... I mean, it's just temptation of Satan where they don't like the blessings that come to God's people. Paul had experienced that so many times by this point. I mean, he should have been dead many times. He says, pray that I will be delivered from unbelievers. When you go sharing this kind of message that God is blessing people by grace, that God's redeeming people from their sin and bondage by grace, that makes people feel special, but it also makes another group feel unspecial. So why are you so good? And they come and they attack. As a matter of fact, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he gets arrested right off, thrown in jail, and a group of unbelievers rise up. and said, we are going to take a vow. We will not eat or drink until we kill him. Well, you can go read the story. He didn't die. Why? Here's my point. Romans were praying. I am delivered by your prayers. Pray that I will be delivered from unbelievers. I know it's coming. It comes all the time. Paul frequently told his churches that he planted, pray for me. Because the enemy does not like this message. It's just too good. The enemy wants a works message. And this message is beautiful grace. Pray that I'll be delivered from unbelievers. And all of you probably at some point, if you come strong with Christ, you feel an attack from unbelievers. Pray for me that I'll be delivered from unbelievers. The second request, verse 31, pray that my service will be acceptable to the saints. There, Paul was living during a time where he had in their mind the national saint, the, the first believers that were Jews, Paul comes preaching a doctrine that just seems strange. We're not doing national church thing anymore? We're, we're going international? What, it's all through Christ is the Messiah? I get that. I'm not sure where you're going. Don't they have to still be circumcised? Where's this sprinkling coming from? Where's this baptism coming from? You know, and, and there was disagreements. Paul says, pray that I will be acceptable to the saints. How many of you walked into a church and, and really your request is, I just hope they accept me. I might not be their kind. I, I, I want to be loved. I want to be embraced. I want to be acceptable as a sinner redeemed by grace sharing the gospel. And what a beautiful thing I think it was when the Apostle Paul shows up in Jerusalem. He's already asked for prayer that he would be acceptable. He knows when he steps in to that realm of the apostles who were the first saints on earth. All the differences that are going on and the dialogue they've already had about can Jews and Gentiles really exist together. And here Paul, the chief minister to the Gentiles, shows up. And guess what happens? The apostle James, the most humble of servants, the brother of Jesus 
leader in the Jerusalem church, comes up and he grabs Paul. He says, I want to introduce to you the beloved brother, Paul. It's like, wow. He was accepted by the saints as a beloved brother. After all he did, a beloved brother. And they rallied around and they supported him. Sometimes our failure at acceptance is our failure at prayer. It's a basic need. We need to be accepted by one another. Pray that we are delivered from unbelievers, acceptable to the saints. And the third thing he asked for here is refreshing. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come back to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul's Paul's plan was not to come back and plant the church of Rome. His plan was not to come back and just disciple the Romans. His plan was to go to Spain. He says, but I need the body of Christ as much as you do to be refreshed. I need the body of Christ to support me. I will need your finances. I will need your help to get to Spain. So I'm going to come back through you because I need you. And the thing he asked for prayer for is refreshing. I just need to be refreshed. That's why I need to be here every week with you guys. I've seen some things already, heard some things already this morning that just jacks me up. It, I'm just pumped. I'm excited. I wish I could tell you some of the redeemed stories I've heard this morning. Just had time for that. How you encourage me and excite me that you're doing things week to week. It refreshes me to hear that. And others are refreshed as well. So let's pray those prayers for each other. We all know these are things we need. The Apostle Paul says those were things he needed so that we could be proud of one another, so that we could do the ministry God's given us uniquely to do so that Christ would be exalted through it all, that it's all about Christ and Christ building his church. What a glorious way to to end some of Paul's relationship here with the people of God. What would have happened to the kingdom of God if the Romans hadn't prayed? See the value of prayer? Would Paul have been killed by the unbeliever quickly? Would Paul have found no acceptance to keep talking to churches? Would Paul have gotten so depressed, just didn't have enough energy to do his ministry? The value of prayer. I tell our staff on Monday, say, I don't care if you don't have anything to talk about on Monday morning, let's meet and let's pray. Because of the value of prayer, we've got to pray for one another. We've got to see God work among us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Your word, your plan, your redemption is so big and great. It astonishes us that we could be a part. That we could be a valued part. That we could be a part that thwarts enemy attacks. That we could be a part to refresh and build up 
ministry that goes to the ends of the earth. That we could be a part of alleviating depression and anxiety and bring refreshment and beauty and a satisfaction with one another. Hallelujah. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. Meet us where we are. Forgive us of our sins. And use us for your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.